I do want to add before we start, um, the new members class. Um, if you're interested in the new members class, please fill out one of the cards in the, in the seat back in front of you just with your contact information and, and please put it in one of the boxes so we know how to get hold of you as we try and, and schedule the class. It would be great to know if you're coming and uh, how many are coming and, and then we're trying to find the, the best time to accommodate everyone for that. Well, please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are here to worship you. Lord, it is through Jesus Christ that we approach the throne of grace. And Father, it is your word that has revealed Jesus Christ to us. Father, we didn't learn of it from nature. We didn't learn of, of Jesus Christ from watching TV. It was your revealed word. It was you who showed us who you are, told us about yourself, how to worship you. It is your word that we lead, or we read and we follow, Father. Father, help us now to understand, help us to, to hear your word. Help us to be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here at Grace Bible Church, we do mostly expository preaching. And that's where we select a passage of scripture, and then we preach its meaning. And by example, I've recently preached on Joshua 24, or Matthew 26, or Acts 1. Pastor Steve recently preached on John 17. And of course, Pastor Ron, um, when he preaches, is preaching through Ephesians. But sometimes we give topical sermons. And a topical sermon takes a look at what God has to say about something in particular, about a particular subject. And we don't look at just one passage, we look at what the Bible in total says about it. Now there's many passages that might deal with a particular subject, and we try to look at all of these, or look at those as many as we can on these, to, to get a, a, a complete understanding of what God says. And when we do this, we have to be careful because it's easy to take something out of context. It's easy to read something. It's called eisegesis, reading into the text, a meaning we want rather than take the meaning out of the text, which is exegesis, which is what we do here. We take the meaning out of the text. We don't read a meaning into it. Examples of, of topical sermons can be a sermon on baptism or a sermon on sanctification or a, a sermon on justification. Um, these can all be topical sermons. Today, I'm going to go all topical on you. I want to address a timely concern. One that I've heard many people asking, what should I do? What, what, what do we do in this case? And because we're not going to focus on a, a single passage, but rather on a topic, I'm going to give you advance notice. We're going to be looking at a lot of scripture references today. Now, I know many of you like to write those down and, and have those on there. So I'm going to make an offer to you. If you want, just send me an email or talk to me afterwards, give me some kind of indication, and I will send you an email with all the scripture references that I talk about today, because there's a lot of them. Some of them I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to refer to, and other ones I'm just going to be um, mentioning what they say without giving you necessarily the reference, because there's just a lot of material here that we're looking at. Um, but I do want to make that available to you. And I encourage you, if you take that, to, to look up those passages, look up the scripture, and see what, what um, God is saying. And read those for yourselves. Here at Grace Bible Church, we encourage everyone to read your Bibles. Read your Bibles. I hope you're reading daily. I hope you have a plan and you're following it. 
And I hope after our sermons that you go back and you look up the passages that we've preached on, that you, you look for yourselves and, and compare what Pastor Ron, Pastor Steve, or I are saying to what the Bible says, because that is the authority. I encourage you to do that, and that's a good thing to do, to be into the Word. Now, what we're going to do as we look at this, we're going to consider a subject that is on people's minds, um, politics. You know, I was told before, the, the, before this morning that uh, Gospel Coalition has been, been lit up with things on, on politics this week, and I must confess to you, I haven't read everything that's on there. Um, so if what I say matches what they say good, if what I say matches what they don't say, um, okay. Um, we go with what the Bible says. And I just want to tell you that I haven't, I'm not taking material from a bunch of other people. Um, I, I, I looked into the word to see what God says. And I titled today's sermon, The Gospel and Government, Confronting Current Crises Through Christ's Commission. I know it's a lot of C's and G's. I love alliteration. I just, I just can't avoid it. I'm sorry. Uh, it was just calling out to me. Now to set the stage for what I want to tell you, I want you to think about what's happening around us right now. Our country seems more divided than it has been since the Civil War. Conservatives and liberals alike decry what is happening with our government. We have a contentious Congress. There's accusations of partisanship, of corruption, of partiality, of indifference. And accusations of hostility are even flying across the aisles. We hear that Wall Street controls the legislature. We hear that Republicans hate women. We hear that Democrats ignore the Constitution. We have what many consider to be an activist judiciary. There was much hand-wringing and celebration over a now evenly divided Supreme Court following the passing of Justice Scalia. And there's a round of newly declared civil rights that seem to be clashing with long-standing religious freedoms. Decisions seem to no longer be a matter of law, but a matter of winning the cultural war. We have a president who some say either acts too slowly or acts too quickly without authority. Consider issues of immigration or consider issues of ISIS. See, Americans are divided. They're divided over the war on terror. They're divided over immigration. Divided over health care, divided over civil rights. The police, once the heroes of young children, are now viewed as the enemies of society. Some say our government spies on us. Others say the government isn't doing enough to protect us. Crime and violence have risen. The numbers are up. And there's disagreement on how to stop it. Should we have people with more guns? Or should we have fewer guns? Body parts are openly sold for research. Baby body parts sold for research. People in California can now take their own lives if they have a terminal disease. And pretty soon you can use any restroom you want. People are unhappy and they want a solution. They want a leader who will fix it all. 
who will bring justice, who will bring respect for all people, who will restore a sense of safety, who will bring prosperity to our country, who will make things right. In short, they want a savior. So right now they place their hopes in our next president. And this year we elect that person. It's 2016, it's election year. And the politics have heated up. You cannot turn on a radio, a TV, you can't pick up a magazine or a newspaper without hearing something about presidential politics. People decrying this candidate or that candidate, talking about this issue or that issue, all pointing towards the election. And it's made even more important because of congressional seats, because of a Supreme Court appointment. It's really heated up and it's gonna be that way for the next six months until we vote in the general election in November. And in less than a month from now, we Californians are gonna be going to our primary election or we'll be voting for candidates. And we consider our choices. We have one candidate who uses language and characterizations that only decades ago would have been cause for immediate disqualification by the populace. We have another presidential candidate who could be indicted before the election is over. We have parties that are divided over their presumptive candidates. And there are some on both, both of the major parties that are calling for contested conventions. Not to make someone the, the nominee on the first ballot. And yet America looks to them for salvation. Its hopes are pinned on our next president. Year after year, we put our hopes and our dreams on the very next election. And we do that whether nationally or at the state level or here at Hollister in San Benito County. We believe we can make things better if we just elect the right person. If we just pass another law, if we just create another right, we can make things better. You see, in short, Americans look to government to save us. We look to government to save us. And if you were like many people today, you might feel depressed about the way things are going. It seems that religious liberty is in grave danger. Christians are being targeted for their beliefs. Soon public acknowledgement of Christ and his commands will bring open and celebrated public rebuke. Jesus talked about Christians being persecuted and people will think they're pleasing God by doing so. So we ask, what are we to do about all this? What are we to do in the midst of these crises? How are we to think? How are we to act as Christians? Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to look at what the Bible tells us. Not what government tells us, not what political parties tell us, what God tells us as Christians we should do. So we're going to look into God's word. And my first point I've called the problem. The problem or how are we to think? Now conventional wisdom tells us in dealing with all these problems, we need to be politically active. We need to support this cause or support that cause. 
We need to rally around a particular right. We need to go to rallies. We need to sign petitions. We need to speak out. We need to advocate on social media. We need to put up signs on our lawns. We need to march in protest. Maybe even engage in civil disobedience. And for some, even civil disturbance. Now, there's a difference between civil disobedience and civil disturbance. Civil disobedience is comprised of sit-ins or a peaceful breaking of the law with which you don't agree. Civil disturbance involves riots and insurrections and doing violence to people and to property and to, and to things. But I'm not here to tell you about conventional wisdom. I'm not going to tell you this morning how to vote. I'm not going to extol the virtues of this person or that person, of this candidate or of this proposition or this law. And I'm not going to tell you how we can change the course of our country or our society at the ballot box. We can't. We can't. See, the problem is not political. The problem is not economical. The problem is not about social justice. The problem is not even ideological. The problem is bigger and more universal than that. And the problem is not, the solution to the problem is not found in government. You see, the problem is sin. And no matter how hard you try, you cannot solve the problem of sin at the ballot box. No one is righteous, not Republicans, not Democrats, not Libertarians, not Independents, not anyone from the Green Party, the Peace and Freedom Party, or the Tea Party. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's not because of faulty politics. It's not because we voted for the wrong person. It's because of our sin nature. It's because at heart we're all sinners. And Paul tells us that every one of us left on our own would not seek God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, and we're going to start with verse 5. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, if, th if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil, I'm sorry, and why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. 
Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The problems we face today are not because of some higher thought or because of some philosophy. They're not because we're becoming more enlightened and seeing that there's more evil out there. They're not because we're more sensitive and a more caring society. The problems are because man rejects his creator. And the evidence is before us. Remember the reading that Bob Burnham did this morning from Romans 1, 18 to 26. Remember what it said, by their unrighteousness, men suppress the truth. We've taken God out of public education. And postmodernism denies that we can even know the truth. There's no way to know the truth. And even though what can be known about God is plain and evident because God has shown it to them, people deny God. And they are without excuse because he has made it plain and evident. They do not honor God, nor do they give thanks. And there are movements today, in fact, to take the words under God out of the Pledge of Allegiance, to strike the words one nation under God off of our money, to strip the public square of any mention of God. No crosses, no nativity scenes, no prayers, no Ten Commandments. The Bible says men have become futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claim to be wise, but they are really fools. And they worship the creation and not the creator. And we can look around and see the effects of all this. We see laws that treat very severely animal abuse. We look at environmental causes, laws that are aimed at protecting the earth, anti-fracking, recycling laws. In fact, in the city of Seattle, they are now inspecting garbage and giving violation notices if you put too many recyclables in your garbage. We talk about global warming and laws to deal with global warming. And you've heard me say before, I don't know if global warming is, is something new or if it's cyclical. But I do know that we don't cause it because God controls the climate. God controls the weather. Nowhere in the Bible do I see anywhere where man is given control over the weather. That is the purview of God alone. But we elevate man to God's status by saying we can change the weather, we can change the climate, we can prevent things from happening. Now, I'm not against good stewardship of the earth. Please don't mistake that, and please don't say that I'm, I'm advocating trashing the earth because I'm not. Just the opposite. Genesis 2.15 says that God put man in the Garden of Eden to take care of it. That's what man was put here for, to take care of God's creation, to be the steward of God's creation. But when we elevate creation, when we elevate ourselves, when we elevate things instead of God, we are engaging in idolatry. We see all these laws protecting animals, protecting the environment. But where are the laws protecting human life? Mentioned earlier, it's now okay in California to take your own life 
if you were suffering from a terminal illness. And there was even a call recently for people to hurry up if they wanted to be prepared to commit suicide when the law took effect. And what about protecting unborn human life? We don't prosecute the people who sell baby parts. We prosecute the people who expose the practice. Look at what scripture says God does about all this. Turn back to Romans 1. We'll start with verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies and among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Look again at verses 29 and 30. They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. And then in 31, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Does any of that sound familiar today? One doesn't need to look any further than politics to see all of these things are played out and let alone in all of society. But this is nothing new. Paul wrote the book of Romans in AD 58, maybe 55 to 58. Rome was suffering from the same things we see today. But let's go back further. In the book of Judges, we read how Israel continually forsook God and they weren't following his commandments. The very last line in the book of Judges reads, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. To me, that sounds a lot like today. But why be surprised that history repeats itself? Solomon, in Ecclesiastes 1.9, wrote that there is nothing new under the sun. All of our advanced knowledge all of our technology has failed to change the human condition because it stems from sin. Romans tells us that God gave up man to his lusts and man turned from God because of idolatry. Man served and continues to serve everyone and everything but God. And because of sin, all creation was subject to futility. Turn to Romans 8. 
We're just going to look at two verses there. Romans 8, 20 and 21. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. God subjected the earth to futility because of man's sin. So I ask you, is it any wonder that things are going so badly? God has allowed the natural result of sin to take its effect. And the ballot box is not going to change that. Our fight is not among men. It is much greater. Paul tells us what that is in Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We're battling Satan. It is his purpose to turn people from God. And it's his purpose to silence the gospel. Now Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 gives us God's design for battling sin. We put on the full armor of God it does not include political activity. And as much as I want to preach from this passage right now, Pastor Ron is preaching through Ephesians, so I'm not going to interrupt what he's doing. Um, I'm going I'm to leave it for him. Be here for that. Be here when he preaches. If our fight is against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, we cannot legislate, we cannot vote, we cannot bring about a victory the ballot box the Pharisees enacted all kinds of laws all kinds of man-made rules in a vain attempt to achieve righteousness well look how that worked out for them and despite all the laws we have and all the laws we pass every year nothing gets better now they say you can't legislate morality well I think all laws are moral they tell us what's right and wrong. This is right behavior. This is wrong behavior. But as man rejects God, man's laws are based on his own sense of right and wrong. They're based on his own morality. They're based on what the majority wants or more often what the ruling elite demand or to protect a very small segment of society. It comes from man's sinful heart. Because man has rejected God. There's still crime. There's still corruption. And there's still cruelty. There is still hate and bigotry. Remember Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. He also said in Ecclesiastes 1.14. That all is vanity. And striving after the wind. It is all futile. You see, apart from God, it's futile. Passing more laws does not change hearts. It only regulates behavior. People will still be inclined to do evil. They'll just go to great lengths, find ways 
to which they can conceal or avoid the law's consequences. Jesus said that everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works be exposed. The law doesn't change hearts. It just regulates behavior. And people in their sinful ways will try and avoid getting caught. So if the battle can't be won at the ballot box, if we can't legislate our way to a better society, and if government is not the answer, what are we to do? What hope is there for us? Well, this leads to my next point. First, we have the problem. Now I want to give you the solution. The problem is how are we to think? The solution is how are we to act? If the problem is sin, and it is, there can only be one solution. In Titus 2, 11 through 14, Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The solution is not more or better government. Our salvation does not come in the form of politicians or political agendas. It doesn't come in the form of Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, or Bernie Sanders, or Ted Cruz, or any other man or woman on this earth. They can only advocate laws. They cannot change hearts. Only God can do that. And you know the verse in Acts 4. And there is no one else. For there is no name, other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that name is Jesus Christ. Unlike the men and women we would follow, Jesus is holy. He tells us that in Acts 3.14. Isaiah 53.11, he is righteous. Matthew 19.16, he is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, he is faithful. John 7.18, he is true. Zechariah 9.9, he is just. 1 Peter 2.22, he is sinless. John 15.10, he is obedient to God the Father. John 2.17, he is zealous. Philippians 2.8, he is humble. Hebrews 2.17, he is merciful. 1 Timothy 1.16, he is patient. Matthew 4.23 and 24, he is compassionate. John 15.13, he is loving. 2 Corinthians 8.9, he is self-denying. Luke 2, I'm sorry, Luke 23.34, he is forgiving. 
Revelation 1.8, he is eternal. Matthew 28.20, he is omnipresent. Philippians 3.21, he is omnipotent. John 2.24 and 25, he is omniscient. Hebrews 13.8, he is unchangeable. Revelation 5.12, he is the object of divine worship. Jeremiah 17.7, he is the object of faith. John 1.3, he is the creator of all things. This is who can change lives. Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly. John 10.10. He saves a humble people. Psalm 18.27. And all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Matthew 28.18. It is Jesus who changes hearts and minds. He healed people but also told them to go and sin no more in John 5.14. Through the Holy Spirit, we are renewed, Titus 3.5. It is through Christ we are made new creations, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Through him, we walk in the newness of life, Romans 6.4. In Ephesians 4.17-24, says we no longer walk in futility, but we are to be renewed in the spirit of our minds to put on the new self. History has examples of people who were changed because of Jesus Christ. We need look no further than Acts chapter 8 for the conversion of Saul. Now you remember Saul. He was a young Pharisee, a Pharisee of Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin, schooled in the law. This was a man who pursued the law with zealousness, a leader in the Jewish government, a man people turned to. And when Stephen was stoned, when he gave the gospel before the council, it was Saul who was there who held the jackets of the people throwing the stones. And we're told in Acts that Saul approved of Stephen's stoning. Saul was a man of the government who persecuted Christians, who hated Christians, who got death warrants for Christians, who was on the road to Damascus with writs to go take Christians into captivity and bring them back for trial. You don't find a person more against Christians than Saul. And he thought he was serving God. He thought he was doing the right thing. But we know what happened on that road to Damascus. He encountered Jesus Christ. And Saul was changed forever. He was no longer the man who pursued Christians. Well, some didn't believe at first, so others had to attest to it. But one of the things he did was he went and got baptized, a sure sign of a Christian, to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he did that. And Paul was a new man, a new creature. But not only Paul, how about the jailer in Philippi in Acts 16? You recall that Paul and Silas were preaching in Philippi and there was a, an uproar and they arrested them and beat them and they were put in the jail in Philippi. And the jailer put them in stocks. You recall from a sermon I preached some time ago. The stocks were um, not only meant to secure a prisoner, but 
they were meant to cause pain. They were meant to cause torture. You see, you could position the person's legs close together or you could position them far apart, stretch muscles and ligaments and tendons. They were meant to cause discomfort. And this Philippian jailer put Paul and Silas in these stocks in an inner, inner cell inside the prison. And you remember what happened? There was an earthquake. Doors are open, chains come down. The jailer who did not know Jesus, the jailer who only knew Roman law, understood that if the prisoners escaped, he paid for it with his life. So he prepared to kill himself. But Paul said, don't do that. We're all still here. And trembling, he went to Paul and he said, what must I do to be saved? Paul gave him Jesus Christ. And this jailer, the very man who was overseeing their imprisonment, the very man who put them in stocks to cause them discomfort and then went off to go to sleep. This very man was changed by Jesus Christ. The man who put these people in this terrible position is now washing them. And he and his family were saved and they were immediately baptized. But look for a more modern example. How many of you remember the name Charles Colson? Chuck Colson was the hatchet man for the Nixon administration. He was Richard Nixon's dirty deed doer. If you need someone politically assassinated, it was Charles Colson. If you needed some uprising, it was Charles Colson. If you needed some lie spread, it was Charles Colson. It was said that Charles Colson said he'd walk over his own grandmother to get what he wanted. A modern day political guy whose sole goal was to just get power and to retain power. Charles Colson was saved, started a prison ministry, wrote a number of books. A man who went from complete depravity to preaching Jesus Christ. It is Christ who changes hearts, it's not law, it's not government. So how then is the course of a country or of a people changed? Through Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ. We cannot save ourselves. So this being so, we should not point to political parties or to government fixes. We need to point people to Christ. And this is what Jesus told us in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. J. Vernon McGee once said that he was called to be a fisher of men, not to clean up the lake. We're called to point people to Christ, not to political solutions. Political solutions are only temporary. When we point people to only the temporal we do nothing to address the eternal. When we point people to only the temporal, we're offering them less than the best. And when we point people to only the temporal, we're not showing them love. You see, if we love people, we will tell them about Christ because we are concerned for their eternity. 
Point people not to the temporal, but to the eternal. Point them to Christ. Paul tells us in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul calls us ambassadors for Christ, through whom God makes his appeal. Now, an ambassador represents the interests of the authority that appointed him. We are to represent the interests of Christ. An ambassador promotes the authority that appointed him. We are to promote Christ. An ambassador does not serve anyone but the authority that sent him. We are to serve Christ and him alone. And we do all of this by making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. And it starts right here. It starts in Hollister. It starts with each one of us. You've heard me say it a number of times. The mission field is coming to us. I pray so much. I long so much for us to be prepared for that. There are hearts coming to Hollister that need Christ. And we need to share him. We don't need to share politics. We don't need to share political parties. We need to share Jesus. When people ask you who you will vote for or who you think can best solve the problems of this country, tell them about Jesus. He's the only one that can solve the problems. When people complain to you about the course of the country, about court decisions, about the economy, about personal security and national security, confront these crises through Christ's commission. Tell them about Jesus. When people tell you they are looking for someone to save America, give them the hope of the gospel, not the government. And don't be ashamed of it. Bob Burnham read Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. Our salvation is in Christ. Don't spend your time attending political rallies, making political comments on social media. Spend your time telling about Jesus. Post your comments about Jesus and the hope that you have because that's the hope for the country. Pray for our city. Pray for our country. Pray for our government. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through, 12, or 1 through 2, Paul writes, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Be a good citizen. See, Paul was not afraid to use his citizenship. We read in Acts 22 through 29, when he was about to be flogged, he said, is it legal to flog a Roman citizen? Uh, wait a minute, um, you're a citizen? Yeah, I was a citizen by birth. Centurion says, well, I paid a lot to get my citizenship. Paul used his citizenship. He used it to appeal to Rome. He didn't want to be tried locally. He says, I appeal to Caesar. And to Caesar he went. And the gospel went to Rome. We have been blessed to be given the vote. We've been blessed to live in a democratic society. I tell you, trust in the Lord. God is sovereign over all. 
Nothing happens that he does not ordain. In Isaiah 45, 5 through 7, he declares, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me. That people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And this is the hope that we have. The Lord who is sovereign over all is sovereign over what happens. We can worry about what happens in the ballot box. We can worry about elections. We can worry about things. Or we can trust God. We can have our hope in Christ. We know that he is in control. That nothing happens that he doesn't ordain. So in the end, the course of this country and the course of elections are all determined by God. There is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Romans 13.1. Now, does that mean that you and I should not vote? I mean, really, why bother, right? Well, consider another type of election. The election to salvation. Because God has chosen who are his does that mean we do not share the gospel with those who are lost? We do not send missionaries? We do not pray for others? May it never be. The instrumentality that God has chosen to spread the gospel is the testimony of his people. And I think it's reasonable then to infer that the instrumentality through which God appoints leaders in democratic countries such as ours is through the vote of the people. And as not everyone who is given the gospel is saved, not everyone who receives a vote is elected. The outcome of both cases is in the hands of God, according to his perfect will. Now, I don't know about you, but I'll tell you that when it comes to God and his will and being sovereign, I'd much rather rely on him than I would myself. I'm a sinful, fleshly, imperfect man but there is a God who is perfect, who is holy, who is just, who is righteous. He has a perfect will, a perfect plan. And so I trust everything to him. We try not to worry about these things. And I'm not going to give you a, a treatise on revelation. But we know what happens. And we don't get from a God-fearing country to a country in revelation without tribulation, without turmoil. And this also gives me great hope in knowing that the Bible is true because we see prophecy unfolding in front of us. I'm not saying Christ is coming next week. I'm not saying he's returning next year or in 10 years. I'm just saying we can see prophecy unfolding. Revelation is true. And there's hope in revelation. There's joy in revelation. Why trust in God? Because the victory is already his. And I'm not talking about the election. I'm talking about eternity. Satan has been defeated. The author of sin has been defeated. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? This week, Albert Moeller commented on a Harvard Law School professor who declared victory in the culture wars. 
The moral revolutionaries have won and Christians have lost, or so this professor would claim. He calls for unconditional surrender of the Christians. But here's what I say to him. You may have won a battle, but Christ has won the war. And I say to all of you, take heart. Our Lord is victorious. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Everyone who does not know Christ as their Lord and Savior is already condemned to die. See, their paths are crooked and they walk in the ways of darkness. Proverbs 2, 13 and 15. And sadly, that is the majority of Americans. If that's the case, that means America's dying as a nation. But then so is the world. Today, if Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, you too are condemned. But it need not be. I plead to you to turn to Christ. Repent of your sins. Claim his sacrifice for yourself. Place your faith in him, not in men, not in government, in Christ, and in Christ alone. Don't go another day, another hour, another minute. Come and talk to Pastor Steve, to Pastor Ron, or talk to me. We would love to share Christ with you. We would love to tell you about the wonderful eternity, about the victory God has already won through Christ. America is a dying nation, and it's in need of a Savior. So give its people the gospel, not the government. Confront these current crises with Christ's commission. Pray for our country. And trust in God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, with everything that is going around us, we can't help but look to you. We cry out to you. Lord, you know, you have ordained all that happens. And you have sent your son. Lord, the way is clear. Your word is clear. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is Jesus Christ. He is the hope of the nations. It is Christ alone. Father, I pray for all here. Please help us to share Christ. Help us to talk about our wonderful Savior. To not worry about the politics of men. To not fret over things because you're in control and because you have won the victory. Father, I pray for each and every person here. Father, strengthen their faith. And for those that don't know Christ, Father, draw them, draw them quickly to him. Father, as we, we sing our last song, let us lift the name of Christ. Let us praise Jesus Christ. He is alone our hope. And it's in his glorious name we pray, amen. Amen.